But heaven is described in the Bible in terms that relate to human experience. We're living in a finite world. There's time and space. And heaven is an eternity. It's infinite. It's not limited to time and space. And so God uses terms that we're familiar with to try to describe for us in our thinking in human experiences. These, uh, the nature, characteristics of heaven. The Bible tells us that heaven is a spiritual realm. God is a spirit, Jesus said in John 4 and 24. And the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection. They thought he was a spirit. And so when we leave this life and we're resurrected in heaven, it, we're going to have a spiritual body. And so we have to relate to that which is all spiritual and we're sort of limited in our experiences here in this life. A little girl was unfortunately born blind. The doctors told her parents to encourage them that they thought that when she approached school age they would be able to operate to give her sight. Well, when she reached that age, they did operate and successfully. They removed the bandages, and this little girl, about five or six, looked around, saw her mother and her father, and she was just overwhelmed. She said, why didn't you tell me how beautiful everything really is? Why didn't you describe these things as they are? And her mother said, well, sweetheart, that is impossible. And one cannot fully explain unto one who's born blind the beauties of this wonderful and beautiful world. But what about describing heaven so that we can understand? What will heaven be like? Well, let's just use what the Bible has given to us. First, it's going to be full of joy. And we'd all expect this. When we turn to Psalm 16 and 11, in thy presence, this is addressed to God, in thy presence is joy, fullness of joy, and in thy right hand pleasures forevermore. The thing about God who's omnipresent, and yet his throne is there, and he will be the focal point, and all who are there, and his presence has fullness of joy. Thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We've all known joy from time to time in this life. We think about home when we've grown up and the joys that we enjoyed there with the family growing up. And then we get older or adults and we get married and we think about the joy of marriage and the joy of bringing newborn into the world. The joy of recovering after some illness, some accident. The joy of some accomplishment. We've all known joy in this world. And there's also the joy of the forgiveness of our sins. Every child of God has that promise from the Lord. You obey my gospel and I'll wash away every sin. Think about all the sins, the things that we've done that have been cleaned out in God's sight. That you bring joy. 
And when Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he was using what is sometimes described as the epistle of joy. Philippians 4 and 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Always, and again Paul repeats, rejoice. Romans 14 and 17 says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Talking about in this life now. In the next chapter, Romans 15 and 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Galatians 2.20 tells us why Paul could abound in joy. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ who liveth in me. When we reach that point where Jesus Christ is living in our lives, he is reigning so that we'll do the things he wants us to do, and he wants us to do those things that bring joy. A preacher was going to a town we call it Millbrook. Hadn't been there before, little village, but he'd been asked to come and preach. And so that morning as he came into the village, he saw a little boy on the side. He asked the little boy, he said, do the people in Millbrook enjoy religion? The boy very sagely answered, well, them that has it does. And we might want to translate his answer, them that has it does. The people who have Jesus reigning in their hearts and in their lives enjoy their Christian life. Them that has it does. When we turn to Luke 6, 22 and 23, you think about tribulation and persecution. Can you enjoy that? Jesus said do. Blessed are ye, and that means happy. Talking about a beatitude. When, Lord, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, mm. and when they shall separate you from their company and reproach you, and cast out your name evil for the Son of Man's sake. Now notice what he says. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. Now, I like that characteristic. Leap for joy. Reminds us in Acts 3 about the man that Peter and John healed, over 40 years of age, hadn't walked all of his life. And when Peter took his hand, raised him up, we read that the man walked about leaping for joy. And you can imagine that. But the Lord tells us that we should leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. We're talking about heaven, what it's going to be like. There are going to be rewards there. For in the same manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And also in Matthew 25 and 21, Jesus is teaching the parable about the talents. We're familiar with that. How the master of the Lord is going to come and require an accounting for the way we've used. We're just stewards. He's blessed us with a lot of material things and families and all of these things. 
and he's going to have us give account of well, in Luke, uh, in Matthew 25 and 21, Jesus says to this one, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will set thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The joy of thy Lord. We're invited into that. Another version says, Come and share your master's happiness. Here's a picture of the, the judgment scene. Come on in and enjoy your master's happiness. Or um, trans, uh, let's call it uh, another translation. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. This is the Lord talking to that faithful servant. Begin the joyous task I have assigned to you. Now, we want to talk about heaven being a place of rest, but it's also a place of very busy activity. And so we need to harmonize these two ideas. In Job 3 and verse 17, we read, Bear, and he's talking about in the next life, Bear the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. Not going to have any wicked people there to trouble us. And those who are weary shall find rest. What about Revelation 14 and 13? John said, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, W-R-I-T-E. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their works do follow with them. Their works follow with them, and other ideas, for their good deeds will follow them to heaven. We're going to be rewarded for our good deeds. And so that's why they are blessed. So we're not speaking about inactivity, but rest from toils of this life that bring despair and disappointment and frustration. Here's another verse, Revelation 22. We're going to use Revelation a little bit. Talking about heaven, what it's going to be like there, verses 3, 4, and 5. And there shall be no curse anymore. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be therein. And his servants shall serve him and they shall reign forever and ever. Resting. When we're serving the Lord. When we're reigning with him. There are responsibilities that go with that. Or Revelation 7.15. They shall serve him day and night in his temple. You've heard it said that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Remember Jesus said in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. He's talking about heaven. And I go there to prepare a place for you. It's going to be a prepared place. The Lord's going to do it. And I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there ye may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. It's going to be a place where we can reign with Christ, serving night and day. It's a prepared place for prepared people. So the question should come to you and me, how prepared are we to enjoy heaven? We're going to be busy there. 
going to be serving. If we're not working for the Lord here, how could we be happy spending and being spent in His service in heaven? Isn't that a proper question? When it comes to the Lord's work, some are like the young man that uh, got a job in the summer with a farmer. And one weekend his father came to see how the son was getting along. So he asked the farmer, how's my son doing? Well, the farmer was very plain spoken. He said, if your, if your son had a third hand, he would need another pocket to put it in. In other words, he was just standing around with his hands in his pocket. And you cannot do much with your hands in your pocket. If you enjoy serving God and your neighbor now in this life, you will thrill at the prospect of expanding your services throughout the ages without end in heaven. Heaven is a place of reaping. Talking about what heaven will be like. Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth unto his flesh is going to hell. That's not the way Paul put it there. He that soweth unto his flesh shall reap destruction. But he that soweth unto the Spirit shall reap eternal life. It's going to be a time, we call it time in heaven, of reaping. Here's an interesting passage from Luke 16 and verse 9. Jesus said, make for yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now think about it. What are the mammon of unrighteousness? Well, it's talking about money, talking about our possessions. And he says, use that to make friends for yourselves. Let's read the rest of it. Make for yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it shall fail, when your mammon, your money, and everything's gone, they, these friends that you made by using your money, may receive you into the eternal tabernacles. Now, what's the Lord saying there? Well, the key to how these befriended can receive them into the eternal tabernacles, which is heaven, is found in Matthew 25. The Lord gives us this picture of the judgment. There's those on the right, there are those on the left, the Lord sitting upon his throne of glory. People can't understand. He said, well now, when I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me food, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. A stranger, you took me in sick and in prison you visited me inasmuch Jesus said as you did it unto the least of these my brethren you did it unto me the Lord is commending those that were put on the right because they were doing the Lord's will in this life this is where Jesus identifies himself with his disciples and returns on their behalf a heavenly recompense for the kindnesses that were shown here. It's only in this indirect sense can those whom the Christian has benefited receive him into heaven. And it's like the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break through and steal. But what, Lord? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That won't happen. Well, how do you and I lay up treasures in heaven? Go down to the bank, put our money in there, build up that big bank account. That's not getting to heaven. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, it's like the Lord said. It's by the good deeds that we do in this life. We help the needy. That is laying up treasures in heaven. Well, 1 Corinthians 3 and 14. If any man's work shall abide which he built thereon, he shall receive a reward. It's a time of reaping in heaven. Reaping rewards. And this is the time when we're sowing seed. Laying up treasures in heaven. In this context, Paul is talking about those who were converting people. And he said they won't all remain faithful. But the one who converted, the teacher, the preacher, whoever, will not lose his reward. He'll still, excuse me, will still be saved. But when those remain faithful that he's converted, then he'll receive a reward. Heaven is a time of reaping, reaping rewards. Also, it is a time of joyous worship. We're going to be worshiping God. Let me read a couple of passages from Revelation. Chapter 5, verses 8 to 14, described as the throne scene. Start at verse 8 of chapter 5. And when he had taken the book, he's talking about Jesus as the Lamb, the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, so they're going to be singing in heaven. These twenty-four elders we understand as representative of all the righteous. The book of Revelation is the book of figures. Book of figures. And they represent you and me when we go to heaven. What do they sing? Worthy art thou to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and did purchase unto God with thy blood men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and madest them to be unto our God a kingdom and priests and they reign upon the earth. And I saw and heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was, now we got some math students here, let's see if y'all can calculate this. <laughs> I say math teachers. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, and, you know, it's just on and on and on. You can't put a figure upon it. It's an innumerable host of people all around the throne singing, saying with a great voice, Worthy is the Lamb that hath been slain to receive the power and the riches and the wisdom and the might and the honor and the glory and the blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things that are in them heard I say. Everybody, in other words. Unto him that sitteth on the throne, 
And under the Lamb is the blessing and the honor and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. I'll not read the other passages, but they're, they're saying the same thing. We're going to be worshipping there. Some people might ask the question, will there be worship in heaven like we have here? Every Lord's Day we come together, we observe the five expressions of worship that the Lord himself has authorized. Well, some think of heaven as a continuous song service, ages without end. And some say they will be bored to death if this is the case. Well, you think about the alternative. It'd be better to be bored, wouldn't it? But that's not the case. In fact, some folks aren't all that keen on worship in this life. And that can be a problem. Have you not heard it answered this way? If one doesn't enjoy worship here, they're not going to like heaven. I heard this preacher's story. You'll understand why it's called a preacher's story. And the, it was about a church member dreaming that he died. And he was approaching the gates of heaven. And there were a lot of other folks' souls that were traveling with him. And as they approached the pearly gates, and the reason why they call them pearly gates, get into heaven, is the Bible in Revelation 21 speaks about, you know, the streets of gold, you know, the walls and so forth has all of these precious jewels, and each gate is made up of one single pearl. So they're called the pearly gates. And so as they were approaching the pearly gates, they heard a great shouting and rejoicing on the other side of the wall. Well, when finally the gates of heaven were opened to them, the man who had the dream inquired, what was the occasion for all of the shouting and rejoicing that we just heard. And someone replied, well, they've just announced that they won't have Wednesday night services in heaven. That's a preacher's story. Folks don't like to come to worship the Lord every time the doors are open. Got a problem. This dream illustrates the attitude some have toward worship here on earth. And I'm afraid people that despise worship or who with resentful hearts assemble to worship will not make it through those pearly gates. There will be worship, but it's not going to be fully like we worship here in flesh and blood. Not be the same. For example, will we observe the Lord's Supper there like we do every Sunday here? Well, what did Jesus say? Uh, Paul wrote, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, ye proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Till he come. Which suggests to me that when he comes, that's the end of the Lord's Supper. Now that is not to say that we will not remember in heaven his death, his sacrifice, the atonement that he brought about. And seeing that, in fact, when we read from Revelation 5, they were remembering that there. But 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 tells us that flesh and blood cannot, cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
He's talking about the face we're talking about now. So there'll not be the Lord's Supper as we know it in heaven. Also, uh, heaven is a place. Let me find myself here. What about Gibby? Every first day of the week, we lay by in store, and I understand giving is a worship. If it's not worship, we shouldn't be doing it in the Lord's Supper. I mean the Lord's worship. But it is an expression of worship. Contributions are used to carry on the work of the church. That's right. We pay for these missionaries. We have uh, utilities to pay for. We want to take care of the needy and certainly pay for the preacher and there are all kinds of things we use the money for but in heaven we won't be doing that what about prayer if we talk about preaching let me talk about preaching first if we're going to preach in heaven a preacher is going to need some new sermon outlines we won't be preaching we won't be preaching there about the great commission go and teach all nations We'll be studying about the acts of conversion. So that's what they did. That's what we should do in following their example. We won't need to be preaching about the law of pardon. There won't be anybody in the heavens that are lukewarm and who need encouraging, need to exhort to not be indifferent. No need to preach about heaven and hell there. So you can see why a lot of sermons won't, will be out of style. Giving, we've talked about that. What about prayer in heaven? Well, there will not be any need to ask God in prayer for forgiveness of our sins. They've been forgiven and we're not tempted. There's no need to pray, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Won't need to ask, give us this day our daily bread. Won't need to make intercession for kings and all who are in authority. No need to ask for our brothers and sisters praying and making intercession for them that won't be necessary out of order but certainly there will be exaltation thanksgiving and praise addressed to God continuously whether we call that prayer or singing what about singing well we've already noticed where they sang in heaven around the throne There'll be many songs sung that will not be appropriate for heaven, though. For example, we won't be singing there when we all get to heaven. We'll not sing there on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. As Jordan River represents death to us and we're looking on the other side to heaven in our songs now. We won't sing, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Come to Jesus, he will save you. Why do you wait, dear brother? Work for the night is coming. Those will not be appropriate, will they? Now, we might sing, Where We Will Never Grow Old. That's a beautiful song. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Heaven holds all to me. Amazing grace. I think I'm going to put that song on my funeral list. Amazing grace. That's a beautiful song. Well, we notice that from what we've studied already, that the rest of heaven cannot refer to complete absence of activity. The same will be quite busy in worship. 
in service, serving him night and day, in reigning with Jesus Christ, and that reign means responsibilities, enjoying fellowship. When we get there, we're going to be finding folks that we knew in this life. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Making acquaintances with those of the Bible that we that lived long before we came. The rest of heaven means that we will never be tired or weak or sick or unfulfilled or interrupted. A glorious spiritual body will be ours and we'll know nothing of fatigue and exhaustion. It will be a rest from all want. The Lord will provide for all that. Will we know one another in heaven? Well, Let's look at some scriptures and see. I believe the scriptures teach that we will retain our own identity. And that infers to some people that will know one another. For example, the inner man, the spirit of the soul, that part of man that knows this part does not die at death. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, The dust returneth unto the earth as it was, but the spirit, the inner man, returneth unto God who gave it. But what changes take place in the soul of the spirit? The Bible doesn't speak about any. You remember the rich man Jesus tells us about in Luke 16? He was challenged to remember things in this life. Remember Abraham said, son, remember? Remember your life? The good life you had back down there in Lazarus? Had the evil things to endure? He remembered. Later on, he remembered his five brethren who were still at home. And he didn't want them to come where he was. He said, send Lazarus back to warn my brethren. He remembered them. He knew they were living like he was living. He remembered his past life on earth. And we refer to this in Matthew 25, 21. And the Lord will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And the Lord says that to you. And you say, Well, Lord, uh, are you talking to me? I mean, you're talking as though I lived before now. And I don't have any memory of that. Oh, yes, we will. That's why the Lord will talk like that. We're going to remember Genesis 25 and 8. He was gathered to his people. Now think about that. Abraham was buried in Cana in the cave of Machpelah. And his people were hundreds of miles away. And yet he was buried with his people. They didn't take him all the way over there. Now talking about his body being buried with their body in the same cemetery... But the spirit that left Abraham was going to dwell with his people that were in another place. Those that were faithful. One other passage we'd look at, and that's 1 Thessalonians 2. Here Paul is reminding these brethren in Thessalonica. And when the Lord comes, it's the day of the resurrection, and he's going to see them. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of glory are not even ye 
before our Lord Jesus at his coming. For ye are our glory and our joy. The Lord's going to recognize those he converted. That's what's going to bring him joy when he sees them in the day of the resurrection. These passages to me suggest that we will have our own identity and we'll be able to recognize one another. We will have glorified bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is discussing the resurrection. The question was asking, well, what kind of bodies are we going to have in the resurrection? Well, let me just read a few verses. Start at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It, talking about our bodies when it dies, the body, it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I like the word Paul used there. He didn't say the body is going to be buried. We say that, do we not? He says the body, when it dies, is going to be sown. Think about it. Farmers go out and they sow their seed, and what comes forth is the fruit from those seeds. When we die, our bodies are going to be sown, the Lord says. And that idea is that it's going to come forth and bear fruit. Coming forth in heaven. We will have glorified bodies, and it'll be like the Lord, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Well, who's going to be there? Let me hurry to finish this off. Certainly God, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will be there. Remember Jesus said, so that where I am, there ye may be also. They're going to be all around the throne, exalting God for saving them. Angels will be there. I'll not read Luke 20, 34 through 36, if you want to look that up. All the infants who died before they reached the age of accountability will be there. You think about all of the aborted babies, the millions, they're going to be there. Now their mothers may not be there, or the abortionists may not be there, unless they change, but the millions of aborted babies, we're, we have an immortal soul from the point of conception. Regardless of how many times during that nine months they're aborted, they're souls. They're going to be there. Well, all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and I just don't have enough time. Let me just finish off with finally all the righteous will be there. From the day of Pentecost until the Lord comes again, who have obeyed the gospel, remain faithful, as well as all who were faithful before the cross. Hebrews 9.15 The blood of Christ extends in both ways. And those who do God's will will be saved and they're going to be in heaven. Revelation 22, 14 is the very last beatitude in the Bible. It says, Blessed are they that wash their robes, talking about figurative speech, in the blood of Christ, and that takes place by obedience. Blessed are they that wash their robes that they may have the right to come to the tree of life and may enter in by the gates into the city. 
the tree of life, the holy city, a representative of heaven. And those who have obeyed the gospel will be, in, will be entered. What about sinners? Well, if they remain a sinner, they may have ruined this world by their wickedness, by their sin, but they will not be allowed to enter into the holy city. Can't do it. There shall in no wise enter into anything unclean, or he that maketh an abomination and a lie, but only they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Think about that. Only they whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What did Jesus say to his disciples in Luke 10 and 20? He said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The Lord writes our names when we obey him, when we obey his gospel. But those who refuse to obey God will never have their names written there. I mean, that's not hard to understand. And sadly, many will never realize that they are lost until those books are open. Talking with a lady the other day, Laverne and I, talked about different ones going to heaven and they've not obeyed the gospel. They haven't been serving the Lord, but they think they are. They're going to be surprised when the books are open. It's sad, isn't it? When those books are open, then they're going to learn that the most important thing in this life was not their job, was not their home, it was not their family, it was not their friends, it was not their money, their possessions. The most important thing is your soul. And if we don't learn that in this world, it will, we will learn it when the books are opened. What did Jesus ask in Matthew 16, 26? What shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If your name, I'm talking to each one now, is not written in the Lamb's book of life, I plead with you to come this morning believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, being buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins, that you might be raised a new creature, one of God's children, and then and then only beginning to have the hope of going to heaven. Or if you have obeyed the gospel sometime in the past and have been unfaithful and haven't come back to the Lord in the right way, remember what Jesus, what Peter said to Simon, Acts 8.22, Repent, therefore, this of thy Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray the Lord that the thought of thy heart might be forgiven thee. We need to repent of all of our sins if we want forgiveness. The child of God is also told to ask God's forgiveness. Confess the sin of a public nature. If you're subject to the gospel invitation and you want to be with all the redeemed in heaven, you need to start. If you've started, let's encourage one another to persevere. If you need to come this morning, will you come as together we stand and sing?